Hi, I'm Tony Denbach, lead pastor of Clearview Community Church, one church in multiple locations serving the communities of the Georgian Triangle. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, we at Clearview Community Church like to begin the new year with a week of prayer, and my message today begins that week. Many of you are where you are today because of prayer. Maybe where there was a time in your life when you wouldn't have been caught dead in a church or listening to a sermon. You didn't care about God, the Bible, or Jesus, but somehow things began to change. Maybe your story is like that of Gay Shoemaker. She'd been raised in a legalistic church where she got a very negative view of what Christianity is about. As an adult, she had an all-out hatred for anything resembling born-again, Bible-believing Christianity. In her opinion, evangelical Christians shut their minds off when they entered the front door of the church. So she turned to liberal churches, then investigated Judaism, Islam, and Eastern religions, and then the New Age. Despite her new interests, she found herself more and more miserable. Well, in the fall of 1990, she attended her uncle's funeral at an evangelical church. And she was appalled when the preacher began to share the gospel and people began to say, Amen, and even praise the Lord. Well, she couldn't believe that they would try to take advantage of people by preaching at a funeral. She left the church furious determined never to enter a church again, and she turned her back on God. She says that winter was the blackest time in her life. Life was meaningless. She was miserable and eventually went to her doctor for help. As it turned out, her doctor was also a Christian. And when she couldn't help her medically, she asked her, why don't you just lay your burden at the feet of Jesus? Well, this infuriated her and she stormed out and the depression got worse. Then one day in May, she came home to discover a message on her answering machine from her aunt, whom she had not seen since the funeral two years previous. She called back and received an invitation to lunch and, of course, church. She went grudgingly, but was surprised to find that she enjoyed the service. People were friendly and the pastor was human. Back at the house, she admitted her depression to her aunt and she asked what made her call. Her aunt said that she felt God prodding her to call her. She had been praying for her for years, but over the past six months, she'd been praying for her daily. You see, their church had volunteers sign up to pray for a list of names from the Toronto phone book. And her aunt, at random, of course, had been assigned her name from the over two million in the book. Back at her apartment building, she got on the elevator with two women. One of them reached into her purse, smiled, and gave her a little book. And on the cover was a happy face and the words, Jesus loves you. Inside the cover were the words, are you a Christian? Well, she felt like God was trying to tell her something. She went to church again the next week, not knowing that her aunt had gotten the church prayer hotline and prayer teams praying for her. People that she had never met were calling out to God on her behalf. When she found this out later, it moved her to tears. Well, one Sunday in June, there was a baptismal service, and she was moved by the service and the testimonies. And when they began to play, just as I am, the pastor invited people to come forward and receive Jesus. As the tears ran down her face, she made her way to the front of the church and came home to God. Prayer made a difference in her life. Now, informal poll, how many of you listening today would know for a fact that people were praying for you before you became a Christian? See, prayer changes things, and it is time to pray. Jim Cimbala is the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, a church that my wife and I were able to visit a few years ago. He preached a wonderful message on prayer that I heard online a while ago. I want to share this text before I share my main text today. 
In Genesis 4.26, the Bible tells us about one of the great turning points in all of history. If you remember the account given in the first few chapters of Genesis, you remember that Cain, Adam's first son, murdered Abel, his second son. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how many other children had. Cain had a number of children, and time went on. Then the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve gave birth to another son whose name was Seth. Well, then comes the verse that marks a change in the way that things are done. In Genesis 4:26, the last part of that verse reads, At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. See, something clicked. No doubt the people had heard about the Creator God. Adam had a wonderful relationship with God before he sinned. But it seems that Cain and his generations, and even Adam, had left that relationship dormant. But from the time that Seth had his son Enosh, men began to call on the name of the Lord. Someone realized that God is not just there, he's there for us. He didn't just create us, he cares about us. And some of them began to call on him. When the rains didn't come, they would call on him. When someone was sick, they would call on him. When they needed comfort, they would pray to him. Better yet, they found out that God responds when you do call on him. So they would spread the word, did you know that the God who created us will hear us when we pray? He will actually change things? From that time forward until today, men have been calling on God, and God has been listening. Let's look for a moment at what the writer of Hebrews had to say. In Hebrews 4, 15, 16, we read, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The high priest spoken of here is Jesus, the sinless Lamb of God, who brings us back into relationship with the Father. When Jesus laid down his life, the veil in the temple separating us from the holy place where God dwells was torn wide open. This symbolically shows all of us who have received Christ that there's no longer anything separating us from God. This verse tells us that prayer is the privilege of all those who are true followers of Jesus. We can come to God with confidence that he hears us. This brings me to my text for today, James 5, 13 through 18. It says, is any of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now, what can we learn from these scriptures? First of all, we learn that prayer is our responsibility. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. What is prayer? It's very simple. It's a conversation with God. It's communication. But I think most of all, prayer is an admission that we need help. Now, I believe that this is the reason that we don't have more prayer in our culture, in our society, in our day and age. No one wants to admit that they need help. We are the society of the stiff upper lip and of the self-made independent man or woman. 
Well, let me tell you something here today. I need God, and so do you. You can't even draw a breath unless He allows you to. We want to solve everything ourselves. If someone asks you how we're doing, how you're doing, we don't even stop to think. We just say, oh, I'm fine, thank you. Well, no, you're not. You're hurting, and you need God to help you. See, the Scripture says if you need help, pray. If you're happy, sing praises. Well, that's a prayer of thanksgiving. It also says, is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Secondly, we need each other. Now, I want, you, I want to say this. First of all, thank God for doctors. Doctors have advanced our society and helped us to live longer and healthier lives. I believe that God works through the medical profession to heal. But I also believe in prayer. The doctors did all they could when my son Levi was sick as a toddler. They could do nothing else but wait. But we could pray. All around the world, people were praying for him as he lay there in sick kids' hospital. My wife Marnita's grandfather was an old-time preacher. He spent much of his ministry in the mountains of Virginia, and he learned to trust God through good times and bad. When he got the word about Levi's condition, he called the family together that were there in Tennessee at the time, and they all knelt in the living room of his apartment and began to pray. After about five minutes, he got up off his knees and said, he's going to be all right. He knew that God had heard him, and God did, in fact, raise Levi up. Now, this scripture says, if you're sick, call on the church leadership to pray for you. Now, when it says sick, it's not talking only about physical sickness either. The Greek word also means weak, and it has a spiritual connotation. If you're having a low time in your walk with the Lord, and you know you need help, call for the leaders to pray for you. Stop being so proud. That's why the scripture says two things will happen when we pray. The Lord will raise him up, and if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. But the first part of that is to call. You see, the church is more than just a group of people who get together for worship and fellowship. The church is a body of believers. Paul tells us in Ephesians that if one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. And in this wonderful time of growth for our congregation, there are still some who are hurting. Some who were once with us are not. Some are attending only sporadically. There are some sick and weak. Well, what are we to do? We're to pray. Leonard Ravenhill said this about prayer. He said, we socialize more than agonize. We sigh, but we seldom cry. We, pray, we pay and we play, but we rarely pray. And Oswald Smith writes, there's time for everything else. Time to sleep and time to eat, time to read the newspapers and the novel, time to visit friends, time for everything else under the sun, but no time for prayer. Now, this body concept is carried on in verse 16 when James says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We tend to hide our faults and our failings and to hope that nobody finds out. The problem is that unconfessed sin eats at us like cancer, and eventually everybody sees it. So confess it. Now, it doesn't say to stand up in front of the congregation and announce your list of sins, nor does it say to go to a priest in a little box. What it says is to confess your sins or your faults to one another. Find someone you can trust and who you know loves you and will pray for you. Now, I believe strongly in the mentor system, in biblical discipleship. Find someone more mature than you and ask them to help you grow as a Christian. 
Stop trying to hide the fact that you're not perfect. Everyone already knows that. So confess and pray so that you can be healed. Now, these next few verses are really important. You need to pay attention. The next thought that James addresses begins in the last part of verse 16. It says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. See, when we are right with God, our prayers are powerful. Now take note, what kind of prayer is effective? The prayer of a righteous man or woman. But Romans 3 and 10 tells us there is no one righteous, not even one. So it sounds to me like we have a problem here. Who are we to call ourselves righteous? Well, this same writer in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 tells us, It is because of Him, God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. You will never earn the right to be called righteous on your own. But if you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It is God who makes us righteous through Christ. It is in His righteousness that we boldly come before the throne of grace. That's why we pray in the name of Jesus. We come to God because of Him. I love that it says that Elijah was a man just like us. Well, what does that mean? Wasn't he a powerful prophet of God? Didn't he call down fire from heaven? Didn't God take him to heaven in a fiery chariot? Yes, all of those things are true. But it's also true that after he defeated the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, he ran and hid under a bush and wished that he was dead. He was a man just like us. He had doubts, fears, concerns, and downtimes. Now there's a comic strip that represents a truth that we all need to learn. It was Pogo who famously said, we've seen the enemy and he is us. Now, I think it was John Maxwell who said, if I were to kick the person most responsible for my problems, I wouldn't be able to sit down for a week. What keeps us from becoming the people that God called us to be? Often it is self-doubt, fear, inferiority complexes and the like. We convince ourselves that we're not good enough to expect anything from God. And so we don't ask. We compare ourselves on our worst days to men and women of God on their best days, and we feel that we can never measure up. And so we don't expect that we can do anything of consequence for God's kingdom. And so James includes this beautiful nugget of truth. Elijah was a man just like us, just like us, flawed, scared, depressed, but God used him. He prayed that it would not rain and it didn't rain for three and a half years. He prayed again and it rained again. What was his secret? He knew God and he prayed what God wanted him to pray. We stand here at the beginning of a new year. Resolve that this year you will make every effort to get to know the God of the universe who has revealed himself to us. And as you begin to understand just who it is we serve, ask. E.M. Bounds wrote this, ask of me is the one condition God puts in the very advance and triumph of his cause. And Billy Graham wrote, we can only wrap our arms around this bleeding, broken world through prayer. As we conclude today, would you pray, pray with me? Dear God, we thank you for the invitation that you give us to bring our needs to you. Jesus, you said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We come to you today and we invite you to intervene in our lives. We pray that your will would be done and your kingdom come in our hearts, in our lives, in our families, and in our communities. 
Help us to live our lives in such a way that it makes the world a better place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So teach me to pray, O Lord. Open my eyes that I may see the need of others. Open my ears so that I may hear their cries. Open my heart so that they not, need not be without a friend. Let me not be afraid to defend the weak because of the anger of the strong, nor afraid to defend the poor because of the anger of the rich. Show me where love, hope, and faith are needed and use me to bring hope to those places. Open my eyes and ears so that I may this coming day be able to do some work of peace for you. Thanks for joining us today. If you have a prayer request, please submit it to the uh, email address on your screens.